Perhaps somebody might ask you a question about a situation. And as you answer them, all of a sudden, perhaps a passage of Scripture will come to you that you share with them to, that they can apply in their situation or circumstance or in their lives, and it will help them. And they're saying, you know, that really is wise. It's the Spirit of God giving you the word of wisdom at that moment. And that's why I pray that we would be ones, that we would truly seek His wisdom, not man's wisdom, not the world's wisdom. There's so much of that that is going on today. Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. Perhaps you might have another gift. Maybe he'll give you the gift of administration. There are different ministries that we're called to do so that the body of Christ can function properly and powerfully, right? It's like my son who plays football on the football team. Not everybody is going to be gifted to be the quarterback. Not everybody is called to be the quarterback. They all have different positions that they are called to, they're gifted to do, so that when they run a play, all those players have different roles that they play, and so they run it together so that they can run a play and score a touchdown. They're working together. But not everybody is going to be the quarterback or the running back. And so just as there is a variety of gifts in the body of Christ and different ministries that we're called to do, there are, as we saw in verse 6, diversities of activities. That is, how that gift is going to be worked out or manifested in your life is going to be different than everybody else. And I think that, that first of all, it's important for us to understand that when we move or work according to the gifts and ministries that the Lord has given to us and called us to, that we're not doing it out of our own energy, that we're not doing it out of our own strength. As we talked about a couple Wednesdays ago, it's not by night more by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And it is the giver, the Lord of those gifts, the Holy Spirit, that is going to lead you and empower you and energize you in using of those gifts to glorify the Lord and to benefit the body of Christ. So he's making these things clear so they understand, so you and I understand, so we're not ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. I think that, that it is important to realize, and this is where a lot of Christians can really get hung up, and really get frustrated or discouraged. Some of us will have the same gifts, but we should not expect them to be worked out in the exact same way. That is, I may have a certain gift of the Spirit, and you may possess a certain gift of the Spirit, but it may operate in my life, and it's going to operate in my life differently than it operates in your life. For example, I may have the gift of teaching, but you may have the gift of teaching as well. And the gift that the Lord has given me of teaching is going to be worked out in my life differently than it's going to be worked out in your life, isn't it? Not everybody who has the gift of teaching is called to be a senior pastor to teach the Word of God. There are those who have the gift of teaching that will teach in small groups or they'll teach men's study or they'll teach the youth or Sunday school. There are those who have the gift of teaching that may be teaching in a seminary. 
or college kind of atmosphere. We all serve in that area of teaching, but it's worked out in different ways for each of us. And to me, that is such good news. Because I can just yield to the Lord and what He wants to do in my life and how He wants to do it and how He wants to lead me and how He wants to call me and work through me. And I can just rest. I don't have to look at another teacher and say, well, God, how come I don't have their teaching ministry? How come I don't have his teaching ministry? When I go to heaven, God is not going to say to me, why weren't you like Pastor Chuck or Charles Swindoll or Charles Stanley or whoever it might be, Greg Laurie? Why weren't you like Dr. Wolver of Dallas Theological Seminary, that great scholar? But you see, I can just be faithful to what the Lord has called me to do and how he's gifted me and how he wants to lead me in the ministry that he's called me to. And Paul's emphasis on diversities and differences of gifts and ministries implies that the believers in Corinth thought that, you know, only some of the gifts were worth having. And then if you did have this gift, it was going to be worked out in this way specifically. And Paul tells them that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to all Christians. It's going to be worked out in a specific way. But he gives us a variety of gifts and that every gift is as spiritual and important as the other and is going to be worked out in different activities, diversity of activities. And it shows me that I don't have to envy those who seem to be so greatly gifted. What your concern is and what my concern should be is, is to discover our gift and to faithfully use our gifts that the Lord has given to us and to be grateful for the gifts that the Lord has given to us. He goes on and he writes, verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. You know that the word manifestation means to make known or evident. The Holy Spirit making himself known, apparent, evident in the church and to the world. So spiritual gifts are not given to be hidden. It's not given for our own personal profit. The Lord does not give me, for example, the word of knowledge so I can bet on the world's series and clean up. Or I can pick the winning lottery numbers. The gifts are given to profit the whole body of Christ. Then when we get to chapter 14, there is one gift that Paul's going to mention that is given for personal spiritual edification. That is the gift of tongues. We'll talk about that more when we get to chapter 14. But the gifts are given to edify the body, to build up the body of Christ. They are given to show everyone how the Lord desires to work and enable us to work. They're not given to show everybody how spiritual I am. And one of the reasons that I believe that the spiritual gifts must be for today is because the body of Christ still needs to be edified, doesn't it? Still needs to be built up. The individual believer needs to be edified. So spiritual gifts are to be edifying and helpful to the church and to God's people. And I think that as we exercise our gifts, not only does it minister to others, but it also helps them to better use their own gift. For example, a pastor who is faithfully preaching and teaching his congregation, not only is it going to build them up spiritually, God uses him for the equipping of the saints and for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ, Ephesians chapter 4, right? And a Christian who ministers his or her gifts of, of teaching faithfully, it's, that's what's going to take place. 
is going to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's going to build up and edify the body of Christ. Uh, a Christian, for example, who ministers his or her gift of helps, not only serves other believers, but I believe it encourages them and others to be more helpful. The believer who exercised the gift of mercy will help his fellow believer be more merciful. He goes on and says in verse 8, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. So beginning in verse 8 through verse 10, Paul's going to list now, as I mentioned to you, these nine spiritual gifts. The first two that he mentions here is the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. Now I think that it's worth our while to note that there is a distinct difference between knowledge and wisdom. Do you know that? They're not the same thing. Knowledge is the accumulation of fact. Wisdom is the proper application of that fact. For example... It was a while back that my dog was barking at night in the backyard. She'll bark once in a while, but she kept on barking and barking and barking. So I got up and went in the backyard, had my flashlight, and I noticed that there she is, only a few feet away from her, was this, this black, hairy thing with a white stripe down its back that she's barking at. Now, knowledge tells me that that was a skunk, Wisdom tells me to grab Bell and for us to get out of there as soon as we can. Do you understand the difference? There was one time that Jim Leachman and I we were fishing, this was years ago, uh, out by the river and uh, the North Fork of the Pooter. And he walks by and I walk by and all of a sudden I see and hear this, this snake that had a rattler on the end of it. And wisdom, or knowledge told me that that snake is a rattler and that it's poisonous. Wisdom told us that we needed to be careful. We needed to get away from that snake. So there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. There are people who have knowledge, but they don't have a lot of wisdom. There are people that have knowledge, but they don't know how to use it. I've seen people who are very knowledgeable, very intelligent, but they end up doing some very foolish things. And I think that all of us, we know people who are very intelligent but very foolish because they've rejected the Lord. And the psalmist wrote, to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if someone does not have the fear of the Lord, he or she does not have true wisdom. So Paul here telling us the difference between knowledge and wisdom. And when it comes to wisdom, you need to understand this as well, that there is a difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. So here Paul, as he's talking about wisdom, he's talking about He's talking about godly wisdom. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this gift and this word of wisdom is that which is beyond wisdom in general. There is a specific gift of the Holy Spirit that is called the word of wisdom. A word of wisdom comes when, for example, critical issues arise. Important decisions must be made. It is a wise word when people hear it, they say, oh yeah, you know, that really is good. That, that is wise. The word of wisdom can be used in such a, a wonderful, glorious way in resolving, for example, tough issues and problems and, and challenges. It can settle people's differences and bring solutions to problems. It is a time when the, the Holy Spirit gives us the right word to say in godly wisdom. We see that the word of wisdom was manifested in whose life? King Solomon, right? King Solomon, he was known for his wisdom. In one instance, as you read in 1 Kings chapter 3, there were two women. They were harlots. They both had uh, gave birth to, to 
um, children at the same time, and as their infants were with them, they were living in the same house, one of the women rolled over on her child, and her child died. So when she noticed that, she got up in the night, she went over to the other woman, and she took her child, put her dead child in with that woman, and so there is this dispute. And so they came to Solomon, and they were arguing whose child it was, the living child. And so one of the mothers was saying, no, that's my child. The other one said, no, she took my child. When hers died, the child belongs to me. So when they brought that case to Solomon, Solomon would say to his guard, guard, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take your sword. I want you to cut that child, the living child, in two, and then give a half to each one of the mothers. And it was the true mother that said, no, don't do that. She can have the child. It was the woman that was lying. Her response was, that's okay with me. Let's each get a half. You see, Solomon, he exercised that word of wisdom. He knew who the real mother was as he gave that resolution, that wisdom, to resolve that difficult situation. We saw that Jesus used and demonstrated great wisdom, didn't he? It was right before he went to the cross of Calvary as he's there in Jerusalem. The religious leaders were trying to find some reason to arrest him. And so they came to him and they thought, we're going to set this trap up for him. He's ministering to the people, teaching them. And so they came and they said, hey, teacher, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? The religious leaders thought they had Jesus cornered. There's no way he can get out of this. Whatever he answered, he's going to be trapped. If Jesus answered, yes, you're to pay your taxes to Caesar, then the people would say, hey, we thought you were our friend, not a friend of Rome's, because the people hated paying taxes to Rome and to the emperor. If he said, no, don't pay your taxes, then the religious leaders would run down to the magistrate and say, hey, there's a guy that's leading this rebellion down there and around the temple, and he's telling people not to pay their taxes. And as again, most of you know the story how Jesus would ask for a coin. They gave it to him. He says, whose image is on this coin? Well, it's Caesar's image. And I just picture him just flipping it back and saying, then render the things that are Caesar's to him and the things that belong to God render to him. And it says that they marveled at his wisdom. The word of wisdom baffled them and the trap that they had set for Jesus blew up in their face. Perhaps somebody might ask you a question about a situation. And as you answer them, all of a sudden, perhaps a passage of Scripture will come to you that you share with them to, that they can apply in their situation or circumstance or in their lives, and it will help them. And they're saying, you know, that really is wise. It's the Spirit of God giving you the word of wisdom at that moment. And that's why I pray that we would be ones, that we would truly seek His wisdom, not man's wisdom, not the world's wisdom. There's so much of that that is going on today. But we would be students of the Word of God and that we would be ones that's sensitive to the hearing the voice of the Lord that we can minister in that way to others. Paul goes on to say in verse 8, to another word of knowledge through the same Spirit. The word of knowledge is information given to us supernaturally. It's really exciting to be used of the Lord in this way. This spirit may speak to you about a situation in someone's life. It's a divine impartation of knowledge concerning a person's situation that didn't come through natural means or natural process, thought process. Sometimes you won't even know that you had a word of knowledge until it's all over. 
There have been times when I have talked with someone and I'll say something like to them, you know, if somebody continues in this specific sin, there's going to be the consequences that are going to experience and they'll get all teary-eyed and they say, how did you know that I had that problem? And I'm thinking, wow, did I say that? Did that come out of me? The word of knowledge is a very interesting thing, just how it operates. I think that the one thing that we need to remember and realize is this, that the supernatural oftentimes operates so naturally. And we fail to recognize it as supernatural. In other words, we think that if God gives me a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or a word of prophecy, that you'll, you know, all of a sudden the wind will start blowing and the hair on your arms and the back of your neck will stand up and you'll go into this stare and all of a sudden your voice will start to quiver and echo and thus saith the Lord in all of this. Now I'm speaking to you and woo. You start to speak like Charlton Heston, you know. You can tell it's God's voice because it's got a shake to it. it. Oftentimes, we are looking for some type of supernatural phenomenon in order to recognize the work of God and the voice of God. But I've learned something. That oftentimes it comes in a still small voice. In an inner awareness, a sudden thought or inspiration, a sudden desire. And God speaks to our hearts and plants his truth within our hearts. So one thing that I've learned, not to look for the fire, not to look for the earthquake, not to look for the rushing wind, but to listen to the still small voice as God speaks to our hearts. The word of knowledge through the same spirit, verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit. Interesting, Romans 12 says that he has given to each man a measure of faith. As Paul's writing said, don't think too highly of yourself. We read in verse 3 here of 1 Corinthians 12, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We see in the book of Acts, when Peter was going to the temple with John, that there was a lame man that was seeking alms. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I'll gladly give it to you. And he would say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand to your feet and walk. And he took that man and he lifted him up to his feet. And it was an act of faith on Peter's part, lifting a lame man to his feet. He immediately received that lame man his strength and began to run and leap and to praise God. And then as he was in the temple area, the people were saying, hey, isn't that that lame man? Isn't the one that's been there at the temple, at the entrance, begging for alms for so many years? What's he doing running and leaping? And as that man came to Solomon's porch where Peter was standing, and he took hold of Peter and began to hug him, and all the people began to realize it was a miracle that Peter performed. So Peter had to address and did address the crowds that were there, and he would say, Hey, men of Israel, why do you look upon me or upon us as though through our own righteousness that we have done this good deed? And he continued to say, May it be known unto you that it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man stands before you whole, and it is through the faith of him, that is God, that this man has the perfect soundness and presence of you all. Peter didn't say, Did you see my wonderful faith and my great faith, now would you like to see me move a mountain? You know, that wasn't Peter's attitude. But Peter said it's through the faith of him. The gift of faith, the faith in his name has made this man 
to stand and make this man strong. The faith that comes through him was given to him, that perfect, that resulting in that perfect soundness. So Peter recognized that it wasn't just some faith that I have and I can go around and lift every lame person out of, to their, you know, out of their chair to their feet or whatever, but the Lord gave him faith in that particular instance and he had that gift of faith for that instance and lifted that man to his feet by faith and God healed him. And the gift of faith is oftentimes related to healings and miracles. I don't think it's a mere coincidence that the gift of faith appears right next to the gift of healing and the gift of miracles that we'll talk about next week. And although this gift is used in conjunction with healing and miracles, it's not exclusive to that. You see, this can be a gift that can be manifested in times when God gives you great certainty. When God just gives you that faith that he's going to work in a particular situation, you're trusting God will provide and work beyond his normal provision for you. The gift of faith is having that special ability to lay claim of the promises of God. You know that God is going to work. God, you're going to work in this situation. You're going to take care of everything. So the gift of faith is a divine certainty given supernaturally by the Holy Spirit that enables you to step out in that area of ministry or some opportunity with great confidence and see results. And so the gift of faith, and that's a special faith in a special situation. And it isn't that, that I don't, you don't have faith in every situation, but I know that me, and as I look at the scriptures, that men of faith oftentimes can have times of failures, can't they? It was Abraham that believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. He had faith, but he got weak and he had doubts, and he faltered in his faith at times. The promise that was given to him that, Abraham, you are going to have a son, and through your son is going to be the promise given of the covenant. And your descendants are going to number the stars of heaven. And Abraham believed that. But as time went by, him and Sarah didn't have a son. So they got together and Sarah said, You know what, Abraham? Things aren't happening here. I'm getting older. You need to have this son. So why don't you take my maid's servant, my handmaiden, and have a son through her. And so it was through Hagar that Abraham tried to fulfill the promise that God had given to him. And the Lord came to Abraham and said, No, Abraham, you're going to have a son, you and Sarah. So there was that time when Abraham had that lapse of faith. We're going to see it in Gideon's life. And Gideon's going to be called by the Lord. Hey, mighty man of valor, the angel of the Lord is going to say to him, You're going to free Israel. And there's Gideon going, Who, me? You talking to me? I'm the least in... My family, my family least of the tribes, were the least of all the tribes of Israel. What are you doing knocking on my door? And God, in those times that he's going to use Gideon, we're going to see that he's going to have to strengthen his faith. But he would have those lapses of faith. We see it in David's life. At times where he had great faith, at times he had a lapse of faith. The life of Elijah, the life of Hezekiah. Hezekiah the king, who at first would rip off the doors post uh, that had gold and silver to pay off the king of Assyria that was going to attack him. But the Lord had to build his faith to where he would trust in the Lord that the Lord was going to take care of him. You know, I'll be the first to admit 
that there have been circumstances that I have faced and I've had a lapse of faith or I falter in faith or I was weak in faith and it's in those times that if I remember to pray and to seek Him, all of a sudden my faith will begin to grow. And I know that it's coming from God. And it isn't because I've earned it, but it shows how poor I am spiritually and needy and that God is rich and gracious and it comforts me. And I realize that that faith can't be worked up or if, you know, I try to work myself into a frenzy or whatever it might be until you've achieved this higher state of believing. It comes by asking, yielding, and realizing that God is so gift, so good to give that gift given by the Holy Spirit. And then I can have faith to move out and minister as the Lord gives you the faith to go ahead and do what He's prompting you to do. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing that the Lord does in our lives. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're facing a situation where you just feel weak. Maybe you feel like, Lord, I just, I'm really struggling, trusting in you, believing your word. I believe the Lord wants to minister to you this morning. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.